And MLM Rebel is a new breed of network marketer, smarter, truly independent, and free. MLM Rebels wage war against the soul-sucking corporate world and against network groups who would rather preserve doctrine than helping people get results. MLM Rebels recognize when the world changes and changes with it. MLM Rebels don't believe in duplicating things that no longer work and would rather work without a safety net than within the confines of one. MLM Rebels are only involved in opportunities that give everyone an equal playing field instead of a top-heavy one. We don't care about the sacred cows of MLM, we don't care about the industry, and we do not care about the way it's always been done. We care about people following their gut. We care about people being able to quit their jobs now. We care about people being with their family instead of their boss every day. We care about people being with their family instead of their team all day. We care about people living free. We believe a truly free networker has multiple streams of income. We believe a truly free networker's creativity isn't shackled by their company's contract. We believe a truly free network marketer actually knows how to market and that they run their business like a real business. MLM Rebels prioritize faith, family, business, sacrifice sacred cows, build their own empires, never rebel against each other, and change the world. MLM Rebels know they are not confined by doctrine, not stifled by the past, and know they are one business away. My name is Zach Spear, and welcome to MLM Rebels. Hey everyone, Zach here. Welcome to another episode of MLM Rebels. Hopefully you have an, an amazing day, and I trust this podcast finds you well and prosperous and ready to attack and crush the day, and I'm really excited to spend some time with you guys here today. Today I want to talk to you about network marketing versus startups, the buzz behind startups, and uh, things of that, and creating ongoing income. So I'm really pumped to uh, talk to you about this a little bit and get to sort of the end of our network marketing versus everything. And if you've enjoyed these episodes, there is a network marketing versus everything report um, that I'm referencing a lot of this information from that we wrote a few years ago. And as as I've been going back over this report, I I was honestly like, since I wrote it so many years ago, I honestly don't know exactly, I could probably do the math, but um, I wrote it in my mind so long ago that I'm like thinking back to it. I'm, I'm like, oh, there's probably a lot of dumb stuff in there. <laughs> I could probably wrote some really stupid things. And I'm looking, reading back to kind of like gather my, you know, my mental notes and, and things for this episode. And then we're doing a video on it. And I'm like, it's actually not that bad. You know, like there's a few things, you know, you know, there's a few things that were, that were maybe, you know, not, not necessarily incorrect, but just, you know, maybe dumb or the way I said them was dumb or things like that. But nothing was like blatantly bad. Like, Oh, you're an idiot. Like, you know, little Zach was really dumb. Um, I'm like, Oh, cool. I, that, that's kind of nice. You know, there's a few, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just kind of happy with myself, uh, with my younger self. I uh, think that there's, it, there's probably some mistakes in there that I glossed over. Maybe I'm just like looking at my old self with rose colored glasses, but I was expecting there to be like, just, just all kinds of dumb things that I said. Um, because I was, I, I had a much more laser intense focus when I wrote that report, meaning like I was like network marketing, like you know, yeah, there's nothing in the world that is even remotely viable besides MLM. Everything else sucks. Like I was really, I was really intense or I was just coming out of that really intense phase. Um, I was like just starting to kind of like think independently. So I was, I was wondering if I was, if I, if like that was the attitude that I would have had when I wrote the report. And, um, thankfully, you know, I mean, I clearly have a bias in the report, but uh, but it takes a fairly a fairly level ground. Um, actually, uses real math, which is cool, and uh, yeah. So, 
Anyway, let's talk about startups. And when I'm referring to startups, I'm referring to like tech companies because that's kind of all the rage, right? Um, I mean, you, I mean, you could we could compare this to I, actually that could be a good episode. It's not in the report, but we could compare this to traditional business. Um, but I don't. That's like not even a comparison. <laughs> but uh, but we're going to talk about startups right now. So like a tech company, because that's kind of all the, all the buzz is, is uh, having a software or um, an app or something like that. And you have this amazing idea, you raise a bunch of money from investors, you grow the thing super big, and you have an exit strategy. Like that's, that is the goal of nearly every tech company, um, every tech company founder, I should say. And that's, that's not just from me. I mean, I have... I have friends in Silicon Valley, in uh, other parts of California, and other parts of the country, and other parts of the world, actually, who who have either very large, they either own them, they're the founders of the company, or they um, were, they're like in the second wave, meaning they work at a high level in the tech company that was sold by the founder. So I have perspectives in both of these areas uh, from friends of mine. So some friends are, like I said, they work at a high level in the company after it's already been sold by the founder. And then I've got friends who are the founder, they still own the company, and they're growing it right now. And they've told me, both of them have told me, specifically the founders have told me, my goal is to grow this so I can exit. Like that is their plan. Um, And... The guys that work at these companies at high levels after they've already been sold have told me the exact same thing because they're still friends with the founders. And they typically follow for the founders around to go work in their next company before they basically flip it. So that's, that's, that's the goal of tech companies, just in case you didn't know, like that's kind of how it works. And I'm, this is probably the area, well, that's not necessarily true. I, I've spent I've spent like no time doing this, you know. Like I've, I'm not in a startup. I don't have one. I don't own one. Um, I just have a lot of friends in this world. So like I have a lot of kind of feedback from this world. But I've never like owned a startup, nor have I worked in one. I'm just letting you know what I know from personal friends of mine, um, and then crunching the numbers for you. So in the startup world, first of all, I actually kind of want, I, not kind of, I really want a software company. Um, I would, I love the idea of the recurring revenue from a, from a, from a software. I love the idea of, um, of a software that kind of like keeps you captive, if you will. So like once you are in it, it's really painful to get out of it. So for instance, like the software that we use, you know, we use ClickFunnels to do all of our funnels and now they, we do all of our emails through them and we basically do everything through them and it would be so painful for us to leave and to go to another company. Like, could we do it? Yes. But it would be a pain in the butt. And so they're getting, you know, a minimum of $300 a month from us. Actually, it's, it's a lot more than that because of the, because like as your list grows, you pay them more. So they're getting more. So minimum, like they're getting 300 bucks a month from us, even if we had zero list. And um, it would be horrible to separate from them. <laughs> That's what, so I, I really want that. I want a software company, but um, I'm not, we're not yet in the place where we want to, you know, would divert focus like that. But I, I love, I love this world. By the way, as you can tell, I just kind of love um, business. So, like every, I think everything we've talked about, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome, and this is awesome. Except for jobs, I don't think they're awesome. But software and tech companies, super cool. Um, every time we do a podcast on our other show, Entrepreneur Discovered, and I'm talking to a software founder or someone like that. Um, like I just got done a few days ago talking to a guy that owns. Um, I don't know if I should say it, but he owns uh, 
he owns a, a, a pretty amazing software company that started a few years ago. Uh, they already crossed seven figures. Um, they're doing really good. And it's like after I got off the phone, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I want to do this. Actually, we need to start an we need to start an app right now. It's going to be amazing. And then of course, you know, it's like, well, maybe 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 yes, but at this exact moment in time, probably not what we're what we should be doing. Um, anyway, okay. So you know I like it. That's our background with with, uh, with tech companies. That's where they come from. That's what they're doing. So I know there's a ton of rage around like Uber and Lyft and um, and Airbnb and like these guys are just they have multi billion dollar valuations. They're just massive, 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 right? Okay. So here's what I got. Here, first thing we got to talk about is this: that the same rules apply in in tech companies as they do in regular business. The vast majority of them fail. In fact, over 90% of them fail, and they have huge injections of other people's money. So the vast majority of tech companies will fail, just like the vast majority of network marketers, by the way. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm, I'm saying, like, most businesses fail, no matter, what, no matter what you do. Tech company, network marketing, whatever. Um, but definitely here in, t- in, in, in the tech world and the startup world. So let's not misinterpret the success stories of Uber and Lyft to what we think we could be doing if we were in that world. Like, could we? Yes, but we are in the single-digit percentage points if we do. Um, the average angel investor will, will invest in five to ten companies and w- hope for a win out of one and assume they'll lose on the other four to nine. Um, so, and that's when they're doing their due diligence and like really trying to pick the 10 best ones. They're not just throwing money out there. So, uh, okay. So now we know that we know that the, that the majority are not going to get billion dollar valuations. In fact, they're never going to even turn a profit. Some of them might not even turn revenue. So we're going to use not conservative numbers, but we're going to use, we're going to say that you're in the top 5% of startups, but you're not in the 0.01%. Is that fair? Like, I'm not, I'm going to assume you're not going to start the next Uber. And if you do, like, dude, that's a freaking amazing, <laughs> I, I get all kinds of props for sure. But just for this comparison, I'm going to assume you're not in the top 0.01. You're not Uber. I'm going to assume that you're successful. Okay. So you, you've made it. You're in the top 90, you're in the top five percentile. So if you compare that to network marketing, like I'm, I'm going to assume you're going to become a top earner, but I'm not going to assume you're going to be the biggest earner on the planet. Is that fair? Or is that fair if we compare it that way? Okay, so first things first is when we have a startup, the first thing we need to do is have an idea. Okay, no no big deal. I think everyone listening to this podcast, you're probably idea generating type of people. That's my guess. And if you're not, that's okay. You don't have to be um, because this is not startup rebels. This is MLM rebels. Um, But I assume that most of you are probably idea generating type of people. So you probably have had ideas in the past for some type of a startup. So you have your idea. Great. Um, I'll assume you, you know, do your market testing and that people actually want to buy it. You know, that only costs, um, you know, a ton. Um, <laughs> just kind of, I'm kind of being tongue, tongue in cheek here. You can do market testing with not a lot of money, but a lot of people do it with a lot. So let's just assume you have an idea, you find, you test the market and it's going to be good. All right. Now you most likely are going to bring out a partner to cover up your weakness. So let's say you are like me and you're kind of the, um, you know, you're kind of the idea person. Um, maybe you are you're kind of like the visionary. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a communicator. It just means that you're the visionary. Like, oh, this is how this could work. This is how this could work. And this is how this could work. So most likely, you're probably the communicator in some sense. It doesn't necessarily mean you're good on the phone or you're good verbally or you're good on video. It just means that maybe you're, maybe you're a good writer, right? You're, but you can communicate the vision to anyone who needs to hear it. 
So that means your weakness is probably building the thing. It's the tech stuff, right? It's, it's like making the thing work, the engineering. Okay, so for instance, I have a personal friend who is, um, he, uh, he has a physical product startup, which is significantly more difficult, by the way. He's an inventor. He, he has made a lot of money inventing, product, inventing physical products, building the company, and then selling the company. Okay, and he's done very, very well. We're not going to even go there because it's 10 times more complicated than a tech company. Um, but uh, with him, he is the visionary. He thinks of the idea, and then he contracts out the build of it. So he hires an engineering company, or he brings them onto his team, and, and, and a designer too, and they build the thing. And it costs a crap load of money to do this. Um, so they build the thing, right? In the tech world that we're working, that we're looking at right now, a significantly lower barrier of entry, you still got to build the thing. And if you own the technology, which you will in a startup or an app company or anything like that, you have to build the technology. And like, like I said, the gentleman I was talking to two days ago uh, for our other podcast, um, this, this was like a multi-million dollar, uh, I mean, minimum is, is, is 100 grand, he said. Minimum is 100K to build your own technology, and it's not going to be that good. It's just going to be your own technology. Um, but you're going to be talking anywhere between 100K to a million to put your technology in place. And that's going to come in the form of developers, engineers, etc. So, and if you're the opposite, maybe you are the developer type, you need to flip the script. You know, you might be the developer, um, but I think we all have to realize we have weaknesses and you're probably going to need a partner that can actually communicate the vision. Um, and so you'll probably need your other half. So in most of these situations, you're going to have a partner or a co-founder of some kind. All right, so we've got our partner, we've got our co-founder, depending on which side of the, the life our, our strengths are on. And we have our idea, and let's say we start bootstrapping it together, and we're working our jobs, and we are, um, uh, nights and weekends, we're building our thingy. Okay, we're building our app, we're building our, our, uh, our software. And let's say after 12 months, um, which I think is conservative, uh, 12 months, it's like it's got enough traction where we have enough of a thing that we can approach angel investors. Maybe we have some revenue. People are actually buying and using our thing. Maybe we've just got, just got a bunch of users, which is typically how these operate. You just get a bunch of free users, right? You get a bunch of free users, and then you, you go to a, an investor and say, hey, I've got 10,000 people using my app. We haven't turned on the monetization engine yet, but we can. But if we have you know, an injection of $5 million from you, we could probably get to pump this thing up to 10 million users, and then we can turn on the monetization engine and make a boatload. Okay, this is how this is how most software companies work. Now, uh, there's a few exclusions, but I'm talking about 99% of software and tech companies. Um, so I have my idea, I have the work done, I've got my initial base of users. I've got, let's, let's call it, you know, 10,000 users, free users that are using my app platform. Yippee skippy. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to approach the angel investors. So let's just say that um, I mean, our, our, our app's worth nothing at this point because we just got users, but we don't have anything, no revenue flowing. Now, you can evaluate it all you want, but cash in the bank, there's nothing. <clears throat> so... I approach my angel investors, and let's say I'm just going to make it really simple. Let's say I get one angel investor, and I say, "Hey, I want um, give me give me a million dollars, and we'll give you 49 percent of the company." Now I know you can work out other deals. Say we're going to cause just do an easy math. 
give me a million dollars, I'll give you 49% of the company. So like we still control it, but you have a very large say in things and you know, you have 49% ownership. Perfect. Okay. We got a million dollars. Now we can, you know, hire some more people. We can, you know, we can really try to grow our, 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 our thing here. Let's say I grow this from zero to a $5 million valuation. Okay. A $5 million valuation is pretty solid. Um, cause again, we're in the top 5%. We have evaluation. We have something that people... Okay, and let me also explain this. Evaluation, this is the way I believe evaluation is. Some people say, oh, this company's valued at, um, or valued at, uh, at $100 million. That number is a complete made-up piece of crap unless someone is willing to pay $100 million for that company. Someone says, oh, they have, um, they have, uh, they have a net worth of $100 million. Okay, if you, can, if you can liquidate your assets and get $100 million, you have it, yes, then correct. You have a net worth of $100 million. If I have something, if I have a $2 million painting that nobody on the planet would buy, but yet I believe it's worth $2 million, do I really have a $2 million painting? Do I really have $2 million of value in that painting, or do I just have a painting? If no one was knowing, if no one's going to buy it for $2 million, do I have a painting or do I have a $2 million painting? I have a painting. No one's going to buy it. So if I get a $5 million valuation, I'm not saying that's a number that's just like, oh, you know what I should do? I'll just take my annual revenue and multiply it by 10, which is what a lot of uh, people like doing valuations do. They say, oh, I have my annual revenue of 100 grand. I just multiply it by 10. I have a million dollar valuation. Dude, awesome, right? That's amazing. Now, it's not awesome unless someone says, hey, I'll pay you $5 million for your company. That's a $5 million true valuation. So we can either, you know, have a, have a peeing contest. I, I softened that. Or we can talk about real boots on the ground money. And a real valuation in my eyes when someone says, I will give you a check for this, for that. That's a real valuation. So I'm going to assume that you have a real valuation of $5 million, not one by, you know, not using some sort of online calculator that says multiply your revenue and now you have a magic valuation number. No, we're going to to use the number that says someone has approached you and said, I will pay you $5 million for your company. So now you can see that you are probably really, really, really in the top 5%. I would assume that a lot of the companies that have big number valuations. I'm not talking about the huge dogs. I'm talking about most of them. Most of them in the top 5% that aren't the huge dogs, they're not in the point zero zero one. maybe not these valuation numbers. Most people probably wouldn't write the check for that company um, based, on the evalu- based on the valuation that they're given by some sort of calculator. Most people would write a check for the company, but not the fairy tale valued calculated number. Is that fair? Okay. So I'm going to pretend that you have a $5 million valuation. You're going to get $5 million for your company. And you decide to take it. Why do you decide to take it? Because as I said in the beginning, <clears throat> the entire goal of this shebang is to exit the company. That um, means sell, by the way, if, uh, if you weren't familiar. Exit the company means sell the company and take your portion. So... Now, of course, if you decide not to sell, you say, no, I'm going to stick this out forever, then that's totally cool. You know, you have a tech company. Congratulations. And you can ride that as long as you want and, you know, take your salary, take your bonus, and maybe someday you could sell it for more. That's totally fine. But I'm going to assume that you're like every tech company founder I've ever talked to in my life um, or person that works in Silicon Valley at a company. 
at a high level with personal relationships to these huge founders. I'm going to assume you're like them. And your strategy is to exit the company. Um, and you're deciding to exit at $5 million. Now, could you wait longer? Of course you could. Do you have any guarantees that it's going to go up? Of course you don't. So you decide, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my cut now. So you exit at $5 million. Okay, so let's think about this. You exit at $5 million. Guess what happens? You, have, you own 50% of the company, right? Because 49% goes to the investor, 50%, 51% goes to you. Well, actually, you have a partner. So take $5 million, now divide it by two. It's $2.5 million, half for the investors, half for you and your partner. Cut that in half again, half for you, half for your partner. That's $1.25 million. So you walked away with $1.25 million, which is super respectable. I mean, if it took you five years to build this uh, and you had zero experience, like that's a pretty solid return per year, right? Plus you made your salary the whole time and all those things. So it's a pretty solid return. Now, you don't have any passive income though or ongoing income. You have a lump sum check. You just flipped, a, you basically built and flipped a business. Sweet. Again, not a bad thing, but we're after, I'm, I'm, we're, we're comparing for ongoing income right now, not for, you know, one hit wonders. So... You can either take that money and roll it into it and do it again, do another startup, or if we're going for, for ongoing income, what are you going to try to do now? You're probably going to put it into our, one of our first initial ideas, real estate. Um, you're going to put it into the stock market, right? And and uh, if you put it in the stock market, like we've already talked about, 1.25 million at an extremely, con- I know it's conservative, but at a very safe 4% return, that's 50,000 a year. That's our target. That's 50 grand a year. So we've done all of this in order to get 50 grand a year. Is any of this bad? Absolutely not. Can you do other things with that money to potentially make more? Absolutely, yes. But I'm talking about a reliable ongoing income for sure. And one that doesn't require immense amount of specialized effort because you took your specialized effort and you put it in the startup. You didn't put it in real estate or a way that you could potentially multiply your 1.25 million at a faster rate. So um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the that's kind of the bottom line. There you go. Now I will say that this is something. This is what happens uh, that I that I see a lot in the startup world. Is typically like um, uh, like the guys that are guys or gals that um, start a company, build it up, have a big valuation, sell it. They usually take their money and they roll it and they do another startup with it. That's usually what I see happening. Um, and then you know they keep doing that until they're just sick of it, and they take their huge lump sum of cash and they just go sit on an island somewhere and they kind of just siphon off. 100 grand a year from it, 50 grand a year from it, giving the illusion of ongoing income, even though they don't have ongoing income, they just have a big nest egg that they kind of siphon from. So that's, that's kind of what that, well, that is not kind of, that is what I see from uh, the connections that we have. Uh, obviously, if you have $30 million in the bank, you're not going to probably be super um, disciplined <laughs> with only pulling out 100k a year, uh, you're going to be, you know, pulling out more than that. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's the comparison with the startup. Is it a bad thing? No way. I just told you I wanted to start. I just want to, I want to have a software company. It'd be amazing. I would not build it with angel investors. I don't think, um, I would <coughs> follow the, uh, uh, I would, no matter, I, I would definitely sink some cash into it for sure, but I don't think I would go the investor route. I would go the bootstrapped route. Kind of like, I mean, if you think about ClickFunnels here, if you know who ClickFunnels is, it's like I said, the software we use to manage our funnels. Um, they uh, they went from zero to a hundred million dollars in three years in cash. That's like cash revenue, dude. Not evaluation. One hundred million dollars a year in cash revenue uh, in three years. Mind boggling. No investors. It's the fastest growing non VC backed company I think in 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 the world. I don't know about that, but I think that is true. 
And that's what I would try to do. Uh, I would try to use the power of online marketing, the power of direct response, but couple it with the power of software or the, or the tech world where you're basically building this massive influx of people and then you're monetizing them at some point. Um, so I just think that's just super brilliant. So that's what I would aim for. So I'm not knocking the startup world in any way. I think it's brilliant. But if we're coming to a conclusion at network marketing versus everything and ongoing income, I think this is what we're coming to. The first thing is that there are other ways, as we've talked about in the quick money episode, there are other ways to make faster hits of active income, faster and bigger hits of active income. I, I really do believe that. I mean, if you need to make fast money, go listen to that quick money episode. And I'm giving you ways where you can make quick money like now. Um, there are ways to do it. I don't think network marketing is the fastest way to make money like today. Holy crap, I'm drowning. I need money. What do I do? Don't start a business. Like, don't go do something in that episode. Um, if you're like, if you're not drowning to death, you're like, you're, you're, you're covering your bills or sort of covering them. Um, I would probably get to the point where you're at least covering your bills, right? And then absolutely go start a stinking business on the side of what you're doing. Don't quit your job yet, right? Don't kill yourself. Go start a business that can take part, part of your time and put everything you have into it. Now, in that case, would I choose network marketing? You bet I would, because it has very little liability. As long as you're not, like, don't make the mistake I did, okay? I stayed in a company for a really long time that didn't give any results, even though I was working my guts out, and the overhead at that company was pretty darn high, um, because I'm not going to get into that right now. But the overhead, was pretty, I was spending a lot of money. Your, your, your monthly overhead in a network marketing business should not be that much. Okay, it really shouldn't be that much. If you're running ads and you're testing ads on a funnel of some kind, you know what? You just gotta, you, you have to go through that time. I'm not talking about ad spend. Um, I'm talking about like your, you, you should be on an auto ship of some kind. You know, you should be on your auto ship, right? Or if you don't have any money, get other people to buy your products, right? Meaning sell them. And um, be on, I mean, that's really it. Like go to live events, go to the company's conferences and stuff, but don't like, don't like, like, that's it. Like you can go get books from the library. You know, you can go get books there. You can listen to podcasts like this. Pod, information is easily accessible now. So be on your auto ship. Do them, do get just, you don't have to spend that much. Keep your overhead low. When you're starting to test ads, don't test ads beyond your budget. Like seriously, don't do it. If you are hoping that your ads will save you, you're doing it wrong. Like if I, like if, if, if you have, 500 bucks in the bank. Don't spend 500 bucks in ads. Oh, sweet. Um, this funnel should convert at 10% or 5%, whatever the percentage is that you're supposed to convert at. This funnel is supposed to convert at X percentage. If I spend 500 bucks, I should make 2000 back. Sweet. I'll go for it. Don't go for it. Spend a little bit at a time, get and raise that piggy bank that you have. And don't, don't bet everything on one thing. I tell people this even in a Rebels recruiting system, even though the funnel, like, it's pretty much a science. I know how many people are going to have to go through the funnel to get a sale. But here's the thing. There are variables even there. The person that's writing the ad, they have a different personality than, than the other person next to them, right? Some people get a sale the very first week. Some don't get a sale for months. And it's because they're tweaking, they're changing. And so the last thing I want them to do is like going backwards while they're doing that. The, the very last thing I want them to do is going in debt. Like absolutely not. So remember, keep your overhead low. Okay, massive tangent. The point is I would start a business on the side of my job with low 
low overhead and a high upside. To me, the most obvious option seems to be network marketing if I don't need the money immediately. Make sense? Um, Cool. Glad we got there. And again, we're comparing ongoing income here. Regarding active income, are there other ways to make it faster? For sure. Are there other ways to make it bigger? For sure. Not even a question. You can make more money, more active money, bigger and faster with another method. I believe that wholeheartedly. And please don't write me letters and get mad at me. That's just the truth. If we took our direct response skills and put them in a different place other than network marketing, we would make more money. In fact, we'd probably make a lot more money. Um, When we chose to take our direct response skills and build Rebels, MLM Rebels, the recruiting system, and all the associated products with it, we knew we would likely take a pay cut for five to 10 years. We knew that. Why did we know that? Because MLM requires you to be in relationship with people. You know what relationships do? They fulfill you, but they also do something else. They take time. And that time that I'm spending giving basically, um, like someone pays a couple thousand dollars to be part of Rebels recruiting system, they pay a couple grand, and I'm giving them coaching forever. You realize that there's people outside of Rebels that we charge literally 10 to 15 times that money um, for one year of coaching? We could do that all the time. We could do that all the time. So like there are ways to make faster and bigger money outside of network marketing in an active format. Now, I do believe that there is a switch. There's a humongous switch that happens. And it happens usually around um, like the 400 to 500 grand a month mark. When you're making like four to six million dollars a year, things typically go whoop. And at that point... Our direct response career, our direct response marketing career, could we make four or five million dollars a year with direct response marketing, four or five hundred grand a month? Absolutely. Could we do it way faster than if we didn't have uh, the responsibilities of coaching people and building relationships and network marketing? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you better, you better believe it, man. But what happens when that time hits? When we're pulling four or five hundred grand a month from our network marketing business as well as our direct response business, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is we've got a humongous ongoing engine of money, of five or six million a year or 10 million a year, that's not gonna go away that easily. See, the direct response business, the other side of the business that we're in, that business is really, really, really profitable. But you gotta keep coming up with new ideas. Every three to, like the, the life cycle of a product is one, it used to be three to five years. I would argue it's one to two now. Uh, it's, it's, it's much shorter. Um, one to two to three, maybe. So every couple of years, you got to come up with something new, and you got to make it as work as the la- make it as good as work as good as the last one did. So the, the the runway keeps running out, but with network marketing, the runway is a lot longer. So we chose to do this in network marketing for two reasons: one, the selfish ongoing income; two, the selfless portion, which we believe that we can have. We can build relationships in any type of business that we're in, but we believe we can have a v- bigger wider spray and deeper relationships with more people in network marketing than any other thing we could do because we we get to spend time with lots of people we get to sow into their lives and our ultimate goal is to is to fill stadiums huge stadiums of people for conferences <clears throat> where we break their false beliefs that have been grained in their head and we actually help them live 
a life that they want to live. And not through some motivational mumbo-jumbo BS crap, but through real, actual teaching. We're going to bring the people in that actually have the fruit on the tree in the right areas that we can help them. And we believe that the best way we can do that is in this industry. Um, because this industry is not going to slow down. With it. Like if, if we vanish tomorrow, this industry is going to grow with or without us. It's going to get bigger. More people are going to buy into the industry, but more and more people that buy in are going to buy into the false lies, the, the stupid strategies and stuff like that. And if we can help change that before it starts, um, then that's, the, that's where we want to be. We feel like we have a deep uh, desire to serve this industry because of how many years that I feel I wasted doing silly things. And so many people are going to, they're going to be a million more Zacks out there. And I want to help the little Zacks and say, hey, there's a much, much better way. And it doesn't have to do with, with that. And no matter what I do, the little Zacks are still going to multiply and populate in this industry. But if we can help just a few more of those little Zacks and little Ashleys not do the dumb mistakes the little Zack and the little Ashley did, then we feel very, very excited and fulfilled. Is that fair? That's where we're coming from. Now you know a little bit more about uh, our heart in this. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of wrapping it up, as far as making the fastest approach to, in this example, we gave 50000 a year of ongoing income. I believe this is the fastest way to do it with the least amount of risk. Because even if you build a team of, you know, let's, let's call it 100 people and you're somehow making $50,000 a year, and and 25 of those people quit and they cut your income by a quarter. Does that suck? Yes, it does. But guess what? You have no liability. You didn't have a house that's vacant. You don't have four units in an apartment complex that just went vacant. And now you have to cover a chunk of the mortgage. Um, you don't like you don't have this looming liability over your head. Um, if the economy goes down, do you know where people go? Do they go in and out of this type of a business? They go in. If the economy goes down, what happens? People go into the business. If the economy goes up, people, the, 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 honestly, the growth kind of slows down a little bit. But people, like uh, the really true entrepreneurs, they want to make more. The best builders will get in, in a lot of cases, when things are going good. Because they're trying to diversify, they're trying to grow, they're trying to pound through things. So this is one of those businesses that does a, it does a good job handling both types of markets. And... I think that's what I want to leave you guys with. You know, I've told you before, do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. Could I be wrong on some of the things I said? For sure. For all the content that we have put out there and are, and are planning to put out there, is there a possibility? No, it's not, not a possibility. There is a certainty that I have said some, some dumb things. I don't even know what they are right now. But I can promise you I have said dumb things somewhere on some video, podcast, webinar, somewhere, written thing, sales letter. I have said something incorrect, dumb, or... Just something that I wouldn't say again. So know that I am not perfect. This is this this is the things that are coming out of what like I believe these things that I'm saying. But also know this like I've said so many words on a on a publishing platform that I could have said something dumb at one point. So what am I trying to get at? Come to your own conclusions. You have to take every take take everything like a grocery store. You walk through the grocery store and you look at certain things. You pick up some things, put them in the cart. You leave other things back. Do the same thing with information as you're consuming it. Decide what's for you. Decide what you're going to dig into more, and then own your own life. You can't blame you can't blame anyone for where you're at ever. And so, make your own conclusions. 
This is the conclusion I came to. I believe it to be true. I backed it up with math. Um, But there are other perspectives in this world. And you could have a different one than me. You could have the same one as me. Either way, I value yours. And um, we value independent thinking, as you know. So guys, hopefully this found you well, and I trust that this did. Um, If you are one of the people trying to take advantage of the MLM Rebels Blueprint, you should go there now and do that. As of yesterday, I haven't checked it. I mean, it could literally be gone. But as of yesterday, there was less than 50 downloads available uh, at MLMRebelsBlueprint.com. If you want to go and check, go do that. Go to MLMRebelsBlueprint.com. And if the site is ava- if the site's up, you can go download it. Um, if it's not, then, you know, you missed it. But uh, if you want to go do that, feel free to. And we'd love to, uh, you know, show you <clears throat> how to build your own automated recruiting system for your company. That's what that document is. It is a detailed uh, roadmap or game plan to do so. And if you are going to read that and you are choosing to apply to take our masterclass, we only want, uh, I mean, if we're opening up our biggest secrets, we only want the top level people knowing our like deepest, darkest stuff and, 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 and holding you by the hand. So if you're going to apply to take the masterclass to uh, basically walk you through by the hand, the stuff that's in the blueprint. So the blueprint tells you everything you got to do. So you could just take the blueprint and run away with it. But if you want like held you by the hand and walk you through every step type of situation, you can apply to be part of our masterclass and our in-person workshops. And, um, and you can do that on the blueprint. That's the very last page. You have to click to read it. So don't worry. It's not like a long sales pitch. It's just, you literally have to click to go to it. So if you decide to take advantage of that, go ahead and do that. Trust me to do that. Um, it's situated in, in a way where every single person that joins before, or excuse me, joins after, after the next person pays a little bit more. So if you join like right now with the master classes and workshops, the next person is going to pay a little bit more. Um, and it's, it's semi-significant. So I would definitely uh, move fast on that. So anyway, uh, that's that. If you're listening to this in like a year from now, if it's like 2020 or 2021, you're listening to this episode. Um, if you want, go to MLMRoadWithBlueprint.com and see if we're giving it away. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it is probably the most distilled and vital document to building your own automated recruiting system that I know of. Uh, definitely, definitely that I know of. Um, and probably that we've ever produced or written. So it's, uh, I think you're going to really, really, really get a lot out of it. I know you will actually. Well, anyway, it was amazing spending time with all of you today and um, appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you all soon and see you in the next episode. Thanks. Thank mm-hmm. you.